Hi, I'm Emily Roger, host of the Boiling Point Podcast. My co-host, Dave Vale, and I will bring you thoughtful discussions with leaders who are positively impacting our world. This is The Boiling Point, where leadership and inspiration meet. All right. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome back to Boiling Point. Emily, good to see you. Nice to see you, Dave. I'm going to introduce someone in a few moments, and, and he comes from a part of the world that I'm very fond of, Saskatchewan. He's a fascinating guy. And we just before we got started, I had a chance to see uh, a buddy who happened to be at his place, who I haven't seen for a long, long time, and a very good close friend of mine when I lived in Saskatchewan for a time, and uh, we played hockey together. And so I just, I'm feeling very nostalgic right now. Nice. Well, what had you in, in Saskatchewan? Was that for hockey? Well, yeah, kind of, but it was, my parents gave me out of the Yukon. Because I was, mm. I was 15, and uh, I was having some challenges. And they sent me away to a school called Notre Dame. And Notre Dame is in this little town called Wilcox, Saskatchewan. And you're there, and there's really not a lot to do but play hockey and play other sports. And and uh, I was there for three years, and you make some great friendships. And and Kurt Kleisinger, who has been a former guest on here on the Boiling Point a long time ago, uh, was one of those really close friends. And anyways, we were just texting a few years ago, or not a few years ago, a few months ago. And he said, you know, you got to meet Ed. And so we're going to bring Ed on right now. We're going to get him to introduce himself. And it's been a challenge because he's, like you, Emily, traveling the globe and doing all these amazing things. Um, But we did finally find some time to connect with him. So, hello, Ed. Great to see you, Dave. Great to see you, Emily. Yeah, likewise, Ed. That was fun to see uh, Yeah, you and Dave and Kurt just kind of go down memory lane there for a few minutes. And then Kurt asking us if we were recording. <laughs> and, he got, and he got a little nervous, right? <laughs> Wait a minute. Is this who else is listening to this conversation? <laughs> exactly. No. Yeah. So, Ed, for our listeners, we always get our guests to introduce themselves. So I'd love to have... Uh, you introduce yourself the best you can because you got an impressive bio, my friend. It's pretty yeah. long. So how do you introduce yourself? Well, I'll give you the Coles Notes version. You're, you're, uh, it's a real privilege to be uh, to be here uh, on air with you both on, on the podcast. And again, I've heard a lot of really uh, interesting things about uh, how you've reached out and uh, the service you provided and the insight you provided to a lot of people who will take the time to listen in and and whoever might be listening to this, you're hearing from somebody who's had a life of fortune and privilege. Again, Ed Stadowski is my name. I, I might say Edward on the uh, on the tag uh, on the screen there, but it's Ed Stadowski. And, and um, again, fortune and privilege. I was fortunate to have played four years of junior hockey in the Canadian Hockey League with the Regina Pats out in Saskatchewan and win a Memorial Cup in 1974 with a great, great hockey club. The folks who know sports and write about it, on it said that that 1974 Memorial Cup hockey team was one of the uh, one of the great teams in, in junior history. We had Clark Gillies who went on to win four Stanley Cups with the um, Islanders and uh, Dennis Sobchuk who played 15 years. We had a lot of real good leaders and a great close team together there. And my fortune continued that I was drafted by the Blues and played 10 years of professional hockey, uh, over 400 professional games in the NHL, Central America. And um, played for three different NHL teams, the St. Louis Blues and the uh, Winnipeg Jets and the Hartford Whalers. 
the big takeaway there is that two of those teams went under. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I that uh, But uh, that was I was very fortunate to have that as uh, you know ten year career and really enjoyed it. Met some great people, saw some great leaders there also. Teammates played with Federico and Sutter and like I said Gillies and uh, the Plaguers and uh, you just shamelessly dropped some names there. On retirement from hockey, I was 30 years old and uh, had to find another purpose. I joined the Canadian Armed Forces and I uh, was probably the oldest uh, recruit in the Canadian Infantry at that time in 1986. And uh, again, I had the privilege of, of serving uh, 29 years, 11 months in the Canadian Armed Forces and uh, wow. the world, saw some great things done by some great Canadians in uh, far off places like Afghanistan and Africa, the Middle East and uh, Balkans. And, and uh, it was a real uh, real privilege for me to be part of the uh, Canadian Armed Forces. And, and as my parents always reminded me, you know, there were a lot of blessings that came my way along the way. I love how you describe yourself as a fortunate man. I sense there's probably a lot of hard work that helped create good fortune. Well, you look back on it, and maybe at the time you don't think about it, some of those uh, challenges and the hard work. There was, uh, certainly there was commitment, you know, uh, common purpose with folks that are like-minded uh, on any hockey team or in any military uh, organization, part of the uh, organization of the infantry, the various regiments I served in, Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry, uh, the Royal Regina Rifles, uh, you know, different units in the forces. And, and yeah, it's, it was a natural progression for me to take what I learned playing hockey obviously from junior to professional and from professional hockey, that internal integration, the teamwork, mutual support, the trust, you know, in two environments where you're scrutinized, you know, outcomes are, are recorded and you're committed to member well-being, moral obligations and leaderships. And, you know, and then there's external adaptability. You've always got an opposition, whether it's in the military or certainly in hockey, you've got, you know, there's adversity and friction you have to work through stress. And, and it, those two careers for me uh, kind of came together and I was able to use the things I learned in sports uh, to be a leader in the military and it served me well. Emily, um, you'd have some experience being an athlete and understanding the learnings from that and how it plays out in the next career and that sort of thing. Yeah. And, and it is, it's so powerful and so powerful about teamwork, about leadership, about commitment, about discipline, and that the higher up you get into that professional level, that the even, even more focus has to be on that. And um, not just, yeah, on yourself, but on everyone around you and what it is that we're all doing. And even now, I always say, for me, my, my sport was cycling and, and in professional cycling and looking back, it's like, gosh, that was not about the bike. That was about like just who Emily was just at her core and those values. And that like, that is now just something that is just so deeply a part of me that like you, it's like, we can take those things into every single thing that we do. Absolutely. If I, if I could comment on that, Emily, a professional cyclist, wow, talk about endurance you know, the qualities of, of endurance. As a military historian, and again, I, I had the privilege of teaching at our war college and our command and staff college. And um, you look at the qualities that uh, someone's going to be successful. Uh, one of the qualities is, is endurance. And uh, I think it was General Ulysses Grant who said that in every competition, and he was talking specifically about battle, in every battle there comes a time where both sides are completely spent 
and the side that continues uh, wins. You know, mm-hmm. there's nothing left. There's nothing in the tank left in the tank. Somehow, one of the two sides continues, and that's the side that wins. And of course, he was the commanding general of the Union Army in the Civil War. And um, they went on to be a two-term president, probably one of America's greatest presidents. So I love what he said about that. And, you know, I think of another leader that I served with in the military, uh, Andrew Leslie. And he said, when leadership is not asserted, the vacuum is seldom filled with success. And that's so very true in the team concept because, uh, you know, we had Brian Sutter in the dressing room in St. Louis, a great leader. And he went on to coach and, and, and uh you know, it's all about getting the best out of yourself and out of your teammates um, when you just don't have sometimes nothing left in the tank. Yeah. So you're in Regina now. What are you doing? I'm retired and um, uh, I'm heading up a project to commemorate one of the regiments I served in with the Regina Rifles here, uh, a, a local reserve unit now. But in the Second World War, they were a frontline a unit that was at the tip of the spear for the D-Day invasion in Normandy. Uh, we've all seen private, Saving Private Ryan and, and what that entailed. Uh, that focused on the American beaches. But for Canada, it was Juneau Beach um, on, the, on the coast of France. And the Regina Rifles were one of the Canadian regiments of the 3rd Canadian Division that landed about uh, you know 10,000 on that first day of Canadians that stormed the beaches in Normandy. So we're, uh, we've got a fundraiser going. It's called Op Calvados. And we're raising money to erect a permanent uh, statue near uh, the Juno Beach Center in France next year. We're taking a contingent of serving members over, and we're going to walk in the footsteps of the veterans who accomplished so much and sacrificed so much uh, 80 years ago. So that's kind of my focus right now. It's uh, taken a bit of my time, and uh, we're planning well in advance of the event because it's going to be huge next year. It'll involve, of course, you know, American uh, from the president right on down. The, the royalty out of uh, the United Kingdom and England, and uh, our uh, government, the government, the French government, of course. So it's a very high-profile thing that I'm privileged to be a part of. Why is it so important for us to remember our history and to make sure we're honoring it in a way that we should and understanding it in a way that we should? Like, why is that important today? Well, I, I think there's many facets to that, specific to the military. Obviously, there's there's lessons that have to be learned and, and things that we have to, I think, pass on to both the current generation and future generations with regard to the amazing things that were done by Canadians. You, you think of the, the Battle of Vimy Ridge in the First World War, where Canada has a 200,000-plus core of men and women accomplished something that England tried to accomplish, France tried to accomplish uh, at a place called Vimy in, in, in Europe near Arras. And the leadership that went into getting the Canadians ready for that terrible battle and the accomplishments that were made and the sacrifices that were made are you know, staggering. And those things need to be preserved and passed on to future generations. There's a lot of lessons to be learned there. And then again, the liberation of Europe in the Second World War and the landings of D-Day and then the 11 months that followed. And specific to the regiment I served in, the Regina Rifles, you know, 454 members of the regiment paid the ultimate price and sacrifice. And that needs to be, I think, front and center for future generations to remember. There's a tremendous connection for the people from Saskatchewan and the the children and grandchildren of veterans who went over and served. And the people of, for example, Normandy, France and uh, Belgium and Holland 
When you travel as a Canadian to Europe and you're tied to an event like uh, the liberation of Europe, it's pretty special and it's pretty amazing what was done. And it's important, I believe, to maintain that, to pass it on, to celebrate it. And, and hopefully we, don't, we, we as a world don't make the mistakes and go there again. But unfortunately, we are. If you look at, if you look at what's happening, for example, in, in Ukraine, we don't seem to learn our lessons, but we have to continue to try to. You speak about leadership and how, you know, you were led by so many great leaders. And I'm curious of just like, just even just the term leadership, what does that mean to you? Well, first off, leadership, a lot of people think it's only about looking after or directing or achieving something with the people beneath you. And and I think that's a bit of a, it's important, obviously, that's a bit of a misnomer. Leadership goes certainly to the people you're responsible for. You need to you know, exemplify and give them leadership, but you also have to show leadership to the people, your peers. You know, it might be teammates in a dressing room, it could be uh, fellow members of your platoon or company or battalion, regiment, whatever you want. But it's also showing leadership to those that, that you answer to. You're showing leadership when you understand the purpose that you've been given and, and what it is you are to do and how you're going to accomplish it. A good leader knows to do the right thing at the right time for the right reason. And that's important laterally to the people that uh, you may not be responsible for directly, but certainly to get the job done, you're responsible to them. And I sort of say the people who are below you and the people that are above you. And I'm of the opinion that true leadership begins with knowing yourself. The first person you have to be a leader of is your own fears and your own uh, purpose and your own um, accountability and your ethos and the purpose that you have. So I'm sorry, Emily, that may sound like a you know a bit of a long answer, but no. it's uh, important that we look start by looking to ourselves and then looking to the, in the four directions that uh, leadership has to be um, exercised. And then there's other qualities and characteristics that come out of it. Alexander the Great said. Uh, I said, I'm not afraid of an army of lions led by a sheep. I'm afraid of an army of sheep led by a lion. Leadership is so very important. But imagine an army of lions being led by a lion. Those are the kind of organizations that move the markers in industry. Those are the kind of organizations that uh, win battles and wars and win Memorial Cups and Stanley Cups, in my opinion. Yeah, I I love that you, you know, you speaking on that the leadership is about knowing yourself and, and to be a leader of yourself. And I'm curious, like even in your time of transitioning from ending your hockey career to then going into the Canadian Armed Forces, what was, if you don't mind speaking to it, what was your decision? What was your reason for wanting to even go that route? I'm a first generation uh, Canadian. My parents immigrated to Canada from Europe after the Second World War. My father had served in the Canadian, or sorry, the Polish Armed Forces in the Second World War. My mother served as a nurse during the war. That was how they met, by the way. My father was wounded and mom treated him. And they'll probably make a movie about it someday in Hollywood if we these things go. But mm-hmm. uh, after the war ended, they, they immigrated to Canada. Mom and dad were both fluent in German and Polish, but they didn't speak English. So they, they had to learn English. They had to start out with nothing in Canada. I basically raised uh, myself, my two brothers, and my sister here on the prairies. My sister was born in a refugee camp in England where they spent 18 months before they came to Canada. So there's a lot about giving back to Canada that is important to me and relevant to me. And we're very, very fortunate to have had the life that we shared 
uh, as a family here in, in Canada. So it was an opportunity to give something back when I had finished hockey. Everyone needs purpose, and I my purpose for me was uh, to, to step into the military realm, and I did. And it was it was very important for me to do that, and and I'm thankful that I did. I'm really glad you asked that question, Emily, because I was just thinking, what an interesting transition of careers, like mm. from. Uh, and I know I know there's battles in hockey, but they're a little different than I, I suspect than you know what you would have saw in Afghanistan or something like that. Going back to hockey for a sec, you accomplished what very few athletes can accomplish, right? To play at that level for that length of time to like win a Memorial Cup and then move on to the NHL. When you think of your hockey career, what are some of the biggest lessons you you learned or what you took from your hockey career that maybe stayed with you and supported you in your military career? Of course, my sport was a team sport. So it's a dependence on the other members of your team, you know, and again, I was very fortunate with that, you know, my junior experience to, to win a Memorial Cup and be with a team that in the ter- Memorial Cup tournament, we were behind the eight ball. We were playing against uh, in the final game. We were playing Regina Pats. We were playing against uh, uh, Quebec City, the Ramparts, and we were down three nothing at the end of the first period. And for us to come back and win that game, we really had to come together as a team. Everybody had to step up. And one of the interesting things, we were coached by uh, Bob Turner, who won five Stanley Cups with Montreal Canadiens. And Dale Wilson was a general manager, another uh, executive uh, in the Montreal Canadiens team. And both of them understood the importance of leadership. Again, those great, great teams in Montreal, Cornways and Belleville, and I mean, the names, it's like a who's who of leadership. So they impressed that upon us. And to the point that we never had a captain on that. Regina Pat's team, we had four assistant captains. And Bob's approach was, he said, you're all leaders. You all have to contribute. It's a team mm-hmm. effort. And that came out in the second and third period of that Memorial Cup game in 74, the spring of 74. We came back and won the game, and the rest is history. Your name goes on the trophy type. Other players on the team, uh, I'm not sure the exact number. I think out of the 18 players on the team, I think 14 or 15 of them ended up playing professional hockey at different levels. And then all came back to the communities that where they're from and, and left marks on the community as firemen and policemen and military folks and all kinds of things. So those lessons from that one hockey game and from hockey mm. in general carried me into the NHL. And I, I had the privilege of getting playing with some great leaders and skilled people. And, and that all came with me when I went into the military. It was all about teamwork. I worked in large organizations. I commanded at different levels in the military responsible for you know 130 and, and a battalion's worth of thousands worth of soldiers but it's about teamwork and those qualities that was the big thing that came to me and there's things you can accomplish by yourself in life and there's things that uh, you have to rely on others to help you with and uh, that certainly uh, served me well in my life and uh, in the military for sure. I'm Debbie Travis. And I'm Tommy Smythe. And this is Trust Me, I'm a Decorator. We're now podcasters. And why did we call it that? Well, you know us as decorators, but we've got lots more to share. We want to talk about travel and relationships. We're going to have amazing guests on. Guests who inspire us for sure. We'll probably talk about design too. And of course, Tommy, don't forget about food. Oh my gosh, how did I forget about food? So please follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or as they say, wherever you get your podcast. And we'll pop right up when we have a new episode. Where's us luck. 
I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favourite podcast app. Our friend Kurt mentioned that uh, we have that in common because I, I play <laughs> a very short amount of time with Regina Pat. One of my memories is of they would have all the pictures up in the Agrodome and the picture of your team. And I, and I didn't know you, obviously, at the time, but really stood out because Clark Gillies, who you mentioned was a teammate, was so massive. Like he was this huge presence. <laughs> like yeah. this, this big guy. <laughs> and Clark Gillies, uh, if you don't, know uh, him as a player, Emily, was quite a force, you know what I mean? But so I would have been staring at your team, you know, back years ago with, with my with my little cup of tea with uh, in the Western Hockey League. But that that's that's such a an interesting story to hear you bring it down to one game and what it took and the fact that you can actually look at how the coach decided not to make one captain and how all of that helped support you guys in, in your mind come back from this three nothing deficit to win a game and to be forever be Memorial Cup champ winners, which very few people can say. There was another part of that team, the general manager again, Dale Wilson and, and Bob Turner created a common adversity for the team in that at Christmas we went to Europe and played in what was then known as the Ahern Cup, but it was against the best players in Europe. So you're talking about uh, playing against Salming in Sweden. And we the Ahern Cup was in Sweden. And we also played two exhibition games in Finland. And we played against the Red Army team, for example, a team that the 1972 NHL team played against in that world-class series. We played against them. And I'm not exaggerating by saying that we got our butts handed to us in every game we played over there. Um, we were a bunch of 18, 19-year-olds, and we were playing against some of the greatest players in the world. Certainly two years before, that Russian team had taken on the NHL. And remember, it was Henderson's goal in the last minute that lifted Canada into the victory of that series. Well, we played against those same teams. We were in an environment where we couldn't speak the language as a team, and it was over Christmas and New Year's. So we were there, and we were challenged, and we couldn't speak the language. We were eating a completely different diet than we're used to. We were somewhat shut in uh, and that we you know we could go out and see the city of Stockholm and Helsinki we were there type of thing but it created a healthy adversity for us and I'll use the term healthy adversity because we know that some coaches try and create adversity in all the wrong ways and means and we're talking about hazing and all kinds of nonsense that there's no place for and that's not what I'm talking about but I'm talking about a healthy adversity where we were forced to rely on each other on and off the ice just for the 10 days that we were over there. And we did not have success. But I can tell you that when we came back to Canada in January, February, March, and April, working into the playoffs and stuff, we were unbeatable back here in Canada, playing in the Western Hockey League against, again, you know, Calgary, Edmonton, Saskatoon, Winnipeg, et cetera. We were unbeatable. And uh, we swept through the playoffs, the three series, four series we had to play. You know, Calgary had a great team, and we had to beat them to get into the Memorial Cup. And we had to play Saskatoon and we had to play Swift Current, which were all really tough series. And they all had good teams, but we were unbeatable. And I, I look back on it and I think that healthy, common adversity we shared carried us uh, to that Memorial Cup, I think. 
And I, my teammates, uh, I'm going to have a, we have a meeting actually tomorrow, uh, the alumni, the past alumni, we have a very strong alumni. Wow. We have a meeting tomorrow and we're going to plan uh, next year's 50th anniversary of that Memorial Cup team. So we're going to, we're planning something for next year and we'll put pen to paper tomorrow. So you were, you were a goalie and you were looking down the ice and Trechak was the other net? Uh, Trechak was in the other net. Oh my gosh. Karmaloff, Yakashev, you know, all the big guns were out there and it was, uh, you know, I, I was 18 years old at the time. Oh my gosh. And uh, I got a lesson in what it is to uh, play your angles and uh, not be caught out of position, I can tell you that. <laughs> I bet. That is, wow, what a wild story. I just had to comment on that because I just, I, that's something that was, I've never heard before. Yeah, what really stood out to me, Ed, was you speaking about your the coach who did not just assign one captain, but uh, four assistants. And um, you said how you were all leaders. And just recently, I had a conversation with someone who he was speaking about his business. And he's like, all of these things around just like leadership positions. And that there's certain people that are just leaders and that there's certain people that we're getting. And it's like just this reminder that like leadership is not a position. It's not just something that you're put into. It's the way of being and that action and that we are all called to be it. And when we can take that and see ourselves as leaders and know that we are leaders, then that is when incredible things can happen amongst the team. Absolutely. You know, Emily, you're at right on the mark there. You know, leaders have, uh, have initiative. They seek and accept responsibility for themselves and for others. You know, good leaders in the military, they can plan and prioritize and make timely decisions. And they're consistent. What they do uh, when people are looking at them and what they do when they're not being looked at are the same thing. They have that purpose, that ethos. And um, integrity that that's just in, and when you when you have the fortune to be in the presence of a of a good leader, it affects you. You know it, just like you know when you <laughs> when you got a bad leader, and it happens. But I think we've all probably been around someone. It might be a family member, or it might be a coach, or it might be a peer, or, or you know another player, or whatever. We say, I want to be that kind of person. And especially, especially, you know, that's what we want to be to the young young people that are coming up. You know, the young players in the game, and you're absolutely right. It's uh, it's a whole lot more than just being labeled as a leader. I've always said, if you're going to tell people you're a leader in charge, you're not a leader, and you're not in charge. Mm. <laughs> you're going to tell people you are, you're probably not. Yeah, and those people who we kind of look up to, and those leaders and who we look up to, and I always kind of take the time to think it and look back on like who I have kind of admired in my life and who I still do. And just what are the characteristics about that person? Because those are characteristics that I can build within myself and instill within myself. And yeah, that is not necessarily the person per se, but maybe, yeah, just all of those qualities and characteristics put together. And, you know, and even just this brief conversation and getting to chat with you a little bit before we came on is that uh, two things. I think that like, gosh, if I was in a position and I needed somebody to take charge, like I'm calling Ed. And <laughs> then it's also like, if I want to have some laughs and have a good time, I feel like Ed is also that person. <laughs> You're very kind, Emily. You're very kind. You know, there's, I guess, a part of a good leader is that you have to have a little bit of humility too. And, and especially, uh, especially in sports. Well, you obviously had great success in your sport and, you know, 
you can't dislocate your shoulder patting yourself on the back no matter what your sport is you know you gotta keep perspective a true story i'll share with you it's a little over a year i played my last nhl game in madison square gardens and it was a little over a year uh later that i was a private you know recruit in the canadian armed forces and getting drilled and it was right out of uh Hollywood movie type thing where the 25-year-old sergeant is about four inches in front of my face and he's telling me we were doing rifle drill and he says, uh, Skanowski, you're the most uncoordinated thing I've ever seen in my life. And I was going to say to him, oh, you watched me play. But, uh, I, you know, you just keep your mouth shut. You got to remember your place, a little bit of humility and, and you press on. And, you know, from those simple beginnings in the military, you move on up to the ranks where you're responsible for you know, the lives of men and women in a place like Afghanistan or in the Balkans or in Africa or wherever the case may be. And, and uh, yeah, you got to remember where you come from. And, and you've got to be competent, too. That's the other thing. Final game of the Memorial Cup playoffs, and it's being televised across Canada. The team that was highly favored, we're down 3 nothing end of the first period. Coach is obviously very irate. This is slipping, uh, slipping away. And uh, when Coach Bob Turner came in and he was obviously quite agitated, and uh, Dennis Sobchuk stood up and he said, Coach, we know you're um, disappointed us. Know that uh, we're going to win this game and I'm going to score you three goals. And uh, we went back out and one of the other members of the team scored the first goal for us. We got on the scoreboard and then Dennis uh, scored three. He got a hat trick and he went on to have a great career, professional career that is. And that was the kind of leadership that you get exposed to in the game. And it's, it's, a, it's a brilliant thing. And again, I'm going to the big names that were on that team. Clark Phillips went on to be the captain of the Islanders before Santa Cups. You know, so a lot of what we learned in that environment was pretty important to us. Totally. The, the other thing um, that you mentioned, and I was thinking about, you know, like humility. And, and then the story you shared about having your last game in like the Mecca of like of any sporting arena would be Madison Square Garden. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's that, all the biggest events happen in yeah. North America anyways, right there. And then shortly thereafter, you're in the army and rather than walking in with, you know, kind of this 10 year NHL hockey career, you actually had to go through your paces and have people probably talk to you in a way that, you know, you wouldn't be typically talk to a, an NHL veteran. And I'm just imagining the level of humility you must have had to, I guess, understand or embrace. You made a good point there. And you reminded me that my first uh, professional hockey game in the NHL was in Maple Leaf Gardens, the old Maple Leaf Gardens. It was yeah. on a Saturday night. It was on hockey night in Canada. And I had just turned 20 years old. And I'm sitting in a dressing room with uh, Gary Unger and the Plager brothers and, and you know, and other greats from the game. And down the hall now is Boria Salmi, Toronto Maple Leafs, and Tiger Williams, and, and uh, Daryl Sittler, Paul Henderson, players who have, have already made their mark in the game. And you're sitting there. And I remember being so uh, overwhelmed by the feeling of being part of something much, much bigger than myself. I was a very small cog in a very big wheel. And the, the feeling that I had, even though I'd won the Memorial Cup and had success in junior in that, I'm thinking, can I really do this? This is way above my pay grade. This is way above my experience and everything else. But you look at the teammates that are around you and you approach it with humility and confidence and you go out there and do your job. So 10 years later, as you mentioned, it's in the uh, Madison Square Garden. You're playing your last game. I didn't know at the time it was going to be my last game, but it turned out it was. 
but you're playing with a different outlook on the game. And then, uh, like I said, you know, about uh, 18 months later, 16, 18 months later, I'm, I'm in the Canadian military and private recruit. And I've got somebody telling me my left shoe from my left boot from my right boot and how to do a salute and how to march. And, and you're, you know, someone who's 25 years old is telling a 30 year old who, you know, a short time ago was playing in the NHL how to do business. And you've got to go back to that humility and you're right back where you were 10 years before in Maple Leaf Gardens mm. type of thing. And that you're part of something that's much, much bigger than you and find your place, fit in, learn your job, be confident, approach it with a little bit of humility. And when the time comes to step up and do your job, then you do it. That's true. Speak, speak about takeaways. So at, at the end of uh, all of our boiling point conversations, Dave and I both share takeaways and Dave I love that you brought up that humility component and Ed that you referenced that because I think that that is such a powerful thing and learning how to which is something that I'm always continually learning how to do I think we all are but like how do we let that pride go that ego go like just in our way and you speaking about that first game at Maple Leaf Gardens and this is kind of what I'm Really taking away from this conversation, so many parts of it, but I just got back. I was on a big uh, fly fishing trip in the jungle in Bolivia. And I remember when I was leaving that jungle and just thinking like, just feeling so small and feeling like, I mean, the world, it is so big. And I am just this little tiny woman out there just trying to do my thing. And just how like overwhelming it can feel at times, but that we all have a very integral part to play. And that like, sometimes we are just so quickly humbled, but that, yeah, we all have our part and you had your part in that initial game when you maybe felt a little overwhelmed and kind of maybe above your head, I don't know. And you had your part when you first stepped into being a private and, uh, when we can keep putting ourselves into those situations and then it's a constant thing, but that it's all being built upon to something so much greater. And the work that you're doing right now is it's inspiring. I'm very fascinated by you. Very intrigued by you. Very grateful to um, have been a part of this conversation and get to learn from you about just what it means to be a leader. Emily, you're very kind. Thank you very much. So I got to follow that up, Ed, with a takeaway. <laughs> That's going to be a tough one. Uh, and I know you got to go. One quick question I had for you was Lanny McDonald. You ever run across him? Yes. Lanny's a quality individual. One of the things I, the privileges I had, and I'll share a quick story about Lanny. I had the privilege of taking the Stanley Cup to Afghanistan uh, with some of the NHL players. And it was uh, for the morale of the troops uh, during that conflict in Afghanistan. Lanny was one of the first people to step up. When we reached out, when we were organizing that we were going to take the cup over, we reached out to a number of teams and a number of players. And Lanny was one of the first. And he was probably one of the folks that went over that really connected with the troops. And he wasn't over there to hear about or tell them about Lanny McDonald and winning the Stanley Cup. He was over there to hear about the young men and women who were doing the job in Afghanistan, the tough, tough job they were doing the sacrifices they were making. He really connected. Great deal of respect for Lanny. Love the man. Would do anything for him. Well, that story mirrors my story about him was watching him realize this hockey thing wasn't going to work out for me. And I was about to go off to Europe to travel. And I happened to be invited to a, a dinner 
where he was speaking for Special Olympics. And uh, he came down after and everyone's all over me, comes over to me and my buddy and he says, hey, guys, what are you drinking? Uh, this is my name, um, uh, Budweiser. He says, all right, I'll be right back. And he comes down and slaps a couple of Budweiser. And he was wanting to know about us. And we were like awestruck. Like we were like, this guy is amazing. He is amazing. And, you know, it's obviously emotional talking about him. He's just such an, but the, the definition of humility, Ed, like I, I couldn't believe what I made. Like, and then to get back from Europe uh, months later, my parents said, Larry McDonald sent you this in the mail. And it was to the Bud Boys, and it was a card from them. Like, I mean, what an amazing individual! Like, I just, so this is like what thirty years later, and I'm still talking about it. So yeah, um, yeah. Anyways, I wanted to bring him up because he, you know, just I had that experience. I'd read about him being this way, and I I assumed you would have an amazing story about him, and uh, it feels like you're showing up in the same way. And I would say my takeaway from today, Ed, is. Uh, there's a whole bunch of humility piece, certainly, but that Emily took that. I like this, like about healthy adversity, that concept. And I just think of like, how can I apply it in my family, in my own world? And, you know, how do, how do we create healthy adversity? And you describing that story of being, you know, in Europe. And I just, that's a, that's a really neat concept. And so I just want to thank you for your time. And Curtis introduced us and his text was, there should be a, a movie about Ed and his life. And, and I I would agree. I would agree. I think yes. we just got the surface of the stories and there's so many more. So, you know, occasionally we ask, would you come back on sometime? Because we'd love to have, you know, some of our guests and we'd, we'd love to have you back on at some other point just to hear more about what you're doing and the work you're dedicated to right now as well. Emily and David, it'd be my privilege at any time if, if we can... I know we did have to do a lot to bring this timing together, but let's hope it's not this hard next time. Absolutely. Yes. So, Ed, thank you so much. And uh, for our listeners, we are going to list all of Ed's information and any extras we discussed in the show notes. And the best place to find that is on our website, www.boilingpointpodcast.com. We are active on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and we will put this video version on YouTube and Facebook. And of course, the podcast is available on all of your favorite podcast platforms. This was such a joy. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ed. I know you got to go to another call. Appreciate it. Godspeed. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Follow or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app or visit boilingpointpodcast.com for more. You looking to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness? Then check out the Natural Man podcast. Join me, host Mike C, as we explore all areas of human wellness, physical, mental, and emotional. Learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health. Remember, your doctor works for you. Learn biohacks, neurohacks, ways to improve sleep, and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain App, and at naturalmanpodcast.com.